Hi, my name is Cesar Cavazos and welcome to Friction Log. I am joined by my co-host Rick Blaylock and we are here to bring you the best insights of UX, developer experience and how we experiment with the extraction of joy, struggles and other emotions when using technologies. Let's get started. Hey Rick, what's happening? How was the short week for you? Oh man, it was great. Besides major, major sunburn. I think I had the worst sunburn I've ever had in my life. <laughs> I've been I've been walking around with a hat on and trying to avoid people <laughs> that I know because it's bad. It's really bad. But we had a good time. We went snorkeling in a there's a reef off of uh Stewart, which is just down the road from me, and uh, it's called Peaks Lake. Gorgeous Peaks Lake, yeah. Gorgeous place. So we snorkeled there and I think we were snorkeling for like four or five hours, and yeah, the sunscreen didn't help me. <laughs> just wear off. Did you also become just red, red, and then you just go what? Or do you get any any tan on you? No, I, yeah, I tan. I don't. I don't turn into a lobster. <laughs> oh, I am a lobster for that. So <laughs> cool, cool. Sure, week and okay. What's happening? Tell me a little bit what you're working on. Ooh, this this week's interesting because we're trying to get ready for a big push that's coming up in the next week. So at Pinpoint, you know, we have uh, we have a, a few different things for engineering managers and developers, engineers. We got like the sprint planning stuff where you can plan out a sprint and we use data science to figure out like if you're over capacity. So we got that thing going on. We have a retro tool. We have some analytics and stand up type stuff, how issues are doing, you know, that kind of thing. And then the the big thing that I'm working on is this notebook. We we call it a notebook, but it fits inside of different parts of, of pinpoint. And uh, th there's one feature we're releasing next week called the daily and it's kind of like kind of sort of meant to be like a stand-up replacement not not exactly but you know it, it kind of has some semblance to stand up but then also what's going on your daily log and so there's a notebook there think of it kind of like a notion uh doc you know or, or a google doc or something like that but you can add things in there you can drag jiras in there and we have like these smart we call them blocks smart blocks that kind of know, oh, this is a JIRA issue. Let me show you what it looks like in this, you know, this view, or you want to use a, you know, a code sandbox thing. You can drop in some markdown and drop in a pull request and comment on it and stuff like that. So I've been working on that whole notebook um, architecture and stuff. It's been a lot of fun, actually. That's awesome. It's always nice when you're uh, just doing the first building of the product, the first pass, adding features. And then it becomes tedious when you have to maintain it for a long time. But that first <laughs> phase is always fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely fun. How about you? What you been working on? I have been deploying more clusters than I can count. I am doing some cloud integration architecture. So trying to figure out how much does the product or products can support around the handle and the type of storage. I have been digging into the Kubernetes storage types and what are the pros and cons. Some of these I cannot really tweak because there are a lot of people working on IBM on different products, but I can make recommendations of what to have. And we have OpenShift container storage, we have Ceph, we have any sort of VMware block devices or file system and what are the differences on those. So my whole week was just trying to break every single product across the different storage classes and see which ones hold up to the performance that we need. Building a bunch wow. of scripts. I don't think I have done this amount of bash since, I don't know, maybe like <laughs> 10 <No>. years. <laughs> oh, wow. That's crazy. So well, yeah, how it's are you like, measuring the how are you measuring the performance? Like, what is the like what's what's the key things there? So the first thing is we are not doing any auto elasticity to like, hey, you reached this amount of processing or this amount of um, delay between the pods and the storage, and then you spun up more. Uh, we're not doing any of that. We're trying to see where it breaks, and it's a lot of load testing. And 
also making sure that if one of them goes down, you really have HA. The next step after mm. that is making sure that auto scale is working. Let's say that you have peaks of API requests and that has to spawn up new pods for more processing. It has to be done automatically and it has to scale down automatically. And every product and every technology around Kubernetes says that it offers it. But then when you start digging about actual examples and people implementing it, nobody wants to talk about it because it's a lot of work. But at the end of the day, yeah. it's just of course. set of limits, yeah. right? Think about you have one application scale three times. When two of them reach 75% of their capacity allocated or, or the limits, you can either increase the limit or you can deploy more pods. And you typically mm -hmm. want to deploy more pods. You don't want right. to uh, increase the limits. That will be very vertical. But then we have to support a variety of different workloads and within the suite of integration you need different storage classes and then it's very easy for you to go and say hey i'm going to try it on aws and everything runs fine but you're using aws block storage which is fast uh, mm -hmm. but then you go into your private cloud where you have bare metal servers or or devices that are in beamware and you only have NFS, for example, which is file system, which is its network. Right. It's not the fastest performance, but it is reliable and it has some pros. But then one of the products requires blocks. So how do we solve that? that those kind of problems and recommendations is what we're, what I'm working on. And I still, I, I think I have a, a week to go. <laughs> mm, fun times. You know what you need to do? You need to take all your notes on performance and start a pinpoint notebook and put it all in there and share it. Yeah. That's, see, we can work together, Cesar, on this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Big company meets uh, startup and they oh, publish man. information. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it could happen. It's happened before. Uh, I've been reading this, uh, or I, not reading, I just got this book in today that I, I'm, I can't wait to read. It's called Working in Public. By Nadia, I'm going to say the last name wrong, Eggball, I think, Nadia Eggball. The subtitle is The Making and Maintenance of Open Source Software. So IBM knows a few things about that. And then, you know, of course, the company I work with, uh, we do too. So, so yeah, there, you got big company and little company um, all in open source. So I'm excited to read this. I, I, I heard her on a podcast and she was talking about this book. And I was like, oh, I want to read this book because it, it, it sounds like it's a... Um, semi-history, semi-kind like kind of categorization of the different types of open source management stuff. I don't know. We'll see. I'll read it, and then maybe we can talk about it on the podcast. Ooh, we should do a friction log on a book. That's interesting. That should be good. Oh. I, have, a, I yeah. have one for you that I started reading. It's called Essentialism. And it's Essentialism. basically, yeah, it is basically... How do you separate the great things from the good things? And you're you're wow. like that and that like me, where you see a lot of things and you go through many things. But how do you pick the best ones? And how do you mm. remove the clutter of the other ones? And this book is by I am also going to say the last name wrong, Greg McKeon. We'll put the, sh the link on the notes. And it's it's actually not bad. It it doesn't really tell you anything that you don't know, like regarding like how many things to work on, and and if you divide your attention, you're gonna have less quality on each of those things. But it does have some interesting tips on how to organize yourself and how to prioritize. And it starts with with priority was it was always one thing, and at some point we made it to be plural. Now you hear priorities, but the, the word priority means one, the most important thing. And right. I mean, just starting with that was, was a great, a great read for me. But yeah, friction log on a book. We can do a friction log on anything. Yeah, right. I mean, it's, it's interesting to think about a book from a user experience perspective. Like how accessible is it? Huh. Yeah, that, that's curious. I'll, I'll read up on that. Surely somebody's done some kind of UX rules and studies on books. That, besides like literary rules. I, like, I guess that would be UX to a degree. Huh. Interesting. And how much does the editor changes the influence of the book? Like you usually mm -hmm. read two books from the same author and you kind of like understand the writing and the voice, but does the, if the same editor does uh, a review on two books, 
does that align the book some way? Like how much of that influence is in there that you can say, oh, even though these are two different authors, this editor uh, just kind of like aligned them into the same experience. That might be something. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Fun things to think about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, well. A few administrator tasks that I have to remind you, but because they're important and because it helps other people discover this podcast is to rate it either on Apple Podcast or Spotify or whatever app you're you're using. Make sure you give us a, a fair amount of stars, whatever you think it's fair. Obviously, it should be five. And also, if you are willing to write a review, we will be happily reading it in our next episode. We have been getting a lot of good private feedback, so we want to see uh, something out there. And if you have any comments, suggestions, things that you uh, believe we should look into from a friction log perspective, you can send us an email at podcast at frictionlog.com. Let's move on to our friction log for this episode, Graph CMS. What is Graph CMS, Rick? Oh, cool. So Graph CMS is a headless CMS. There's a lot of those out there. Headless means a lot of different things, but really it's a departure from the kind of traditional, like think of WordPress or Joomla or Drupal, where it's like a monolith of everything it it. It's the back end, it's the front end, it's everything in between. Usually there's no APIs. You got to install an API plugin or something like that. And so a headless CMS says, oh, we don't really care about how you do the front end. We don't make that assumption. We just manage the back end and you get an API out of it. So Graph CMS is one of those. There's Contentful. There's, ah, man, I can't even remember. There's a gazillion of them. But what Graph CMS, their shtick, if you will, is it's GraphQL. And they have a pretty nice GraphQL layer and, and tools around that. But that's that's what their their stick is. Yeah, yeah. GraphQL native, it has like any other CMS, it has webhooks and you can create your own schema and localization, you can do that. It has versioning, which is something that differentiates headless CMS from another. The other thing that I find interesting is they they do provide a CDN. So a lot of products are moving there and CDN is a pretty popular item. I think we have mentioned it on every technology that we have been talking on podcast, but not everybody's using it. The frictional website is fast and we were talking about the fish rules app is also fast if you're in the middle of the ocean. So Graph CMS also has a CDN. And this is the last piece of the stack that we have in the friction log website. We talk about Tailwind CSS, we talk about Bercel, and then we talk about Next.js. Today is all about Graph CMS to complete our stack. If you haven't listened to any other episodes, be sure to check them out. They're interesting and we are going to keep updating them and maybe we'll do another mini series about that. But for now, let's move with our friction log and our analysis. In this case, we're going to talk about the persona. Me. Yes, (laughs) again, it's only you and me. We have some guests coming up. But for now, you have to stick with us. We have Rick. Tell us a little bit the description of the persona, Rick, just uh, for new listeners, please. Yeah, sure. So I'll t- my experience with CMSs, and then I'll kind of give you my my overall experience before we jump into the log. So um, I've got lots of experience with GraphQL, a ton of experience with CMSs. Back in the day, I worked a lot in Joomla. Mambo, when it was called Mambo, if anybody's alive <laughs> at that time when it was called that. Miro, I think, owned them. And then it turned into Joomla. And then it's I, I had a dev shop, and we built all sorts of Joomla extensions and Joomla templates and Gmail websites and all sorts of CMS stuff. So lots of experience there. I've spoken at a few conferences about CMSs. Like there was the CMS Expo in Chicago. I spoke twice about that. And I actually started touting back then, like 2010, the need for these CMSs to have APIs and not have an assumption of, you know, what the front end is going to be like, especially with the advent of mobile. But 
as far as this friction law goes, zero experience with Graph CMS. So this was my first time ever using Graph CMS, never used it before. And the goal was our website to take the stuff that we had done in Markdown, because that's what we had previously, and I moved them to the CMS. And then we used Next.js to pull them down and then to generate the static pages. But that was the goal. Basically, our backend, all the data is stored in Graph CMS. Next.js will query it using the GraphQL and it will parse the markdown because it's still on markdown and it will display as HTML or the RSS feeds or whatever uh, way you're reading uh, the content. Okay, interesting. Yeah, Yeah, and experience-wise, just kind of general overview experience is it, it was very well done. I didn't really have a lot of links or things to do or to Google. I kind of was able just to do everything right there without lots of research or anything. So that was great. And I think I moved the whole website over to graph CMS and deployed it in under two hours. It was like an hour and a half, something like that. It, it wasn't too bad. Very good. Very good. All right. Good experience. Less than two hours. The video is up in YouTube. You can check it out yourself. Let's go to the logs. We're going to go a little bit faster because we have quite a bit, but the ones that uh, we find a good discussion point, we will deep dive on it. And let's start with just the lights. Always start with the positive. What do you have of the lights? Yeah, so I have a few. um, Some of them are just like little tiny cool things, and then others were fairly important delights that I, I was pleasantly surprised in a good way. So little thing, when you're going to create your account and you, you do a couple of things, pick where your region and all this stuff or where you're at and stuff, they actually show a map when you're creating your account and the delay in milliseconds from the region, from where you are, you know, it's just a little tiny detail like that, that, you know, I sat there as I was creating my account, like, oh, that's cool. I can see my delay from here to Virginia is, you know, five milliseconds or something like that. It, it, it shows an attention to detail that, hey, they care about performance, which is cool. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's nice. And it's also proving their own CDN publicly, which is something that it is not easy to test. You can, you can try to find a few ways, but as a consumer of a SaaS product, you don't really see that. And then I think one of the big ones that I wanted to touch is image transformations, which is always... Of something delivering the right size of image to the right audience you're doing mobile or we're doing web whatever you're doing is that something common that you see on other graphql apis that you have used or what do you think about that well i i liked how they included all that in there so they have these transformation functions and when i say function i don't mean like in javascript code i mean in like the graph code so you can say hey this is my image and I want to transform it. And then you have like some parameters like resize to width 800. And then it'll, then you can apply different kinds of ratio type scaling and things like that. All within the GraphQL query. That was awesome because some of our images are kind of big and it's like, oh man, I guess we could run a script when we run Next.js to resize them and do this and do that and the other. But they kind of do it for you when you upload the image and then you can just query it with that size um, that you need. It's perfect. Yeah, 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 we have been using that. And that also allows us to upload higher resolution image in case we are later building something, let's say for an iPad Pro that has a pretty big density. So that's that's nice. You also mentioned here on your delights that creating an API for a structured content is effortless. Yeah. What do you have on so- that? Yeah, so for whatever reason, I I always anytime I have to jump into a GraphQL schema to write stuff, it's just not enjoyable enjoyable to me. I don't know why. I can't necessarily describe why, but I don't have any problem jumping into TypeScript and writing an interface and some enums and all that stuff out. I don't have any problem doing that with Swift or Kotlin, like you know protocols and all that. It, it, it's fine, but for whatever reason, when I jump into GraphQL schemas, I just bleh, I don't like it. And and so that was one of the things that I saw. It's like, oh, you can create your schemas, and I'm like, oh man, do I have to like hand write these schemas out? Actually, like AWS Amplify does that, and you're like, ah, why do I have to mess with this? But the way they do it is it's pretty nice. It's just like really quick. 
oh, I want this type, I want this type, I want this type, boom, 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 boom. And it just kind of manages it all for you. And then, you know, they spin up their, I guess, their GraphQL resolvers that handle those types and stuff. So it's, uh, it's, it, it feels better than actually writing it out, which is usually not the case with something like a, a CMS, you know, that's UI driven. Usually it, as a developer, you're like, man, I'd just rather just write this out. And for whatever reason, I, I liked it. So it, that was a delight for me. I would like to point out that since this website has been live for like two, three months now, we have done schema changes and all of that is seamless as well. Like we have increased some fields and removed some other ones. And I mean, other than the testing and making sure that it is well integrated, but the overall management of it, it has been uh, a consistent delight after that. Any other delight? So another big one I, that I thought was cool was the preview and playground. And this is, I think, purely from a developer perspective, which is really honestly what that's graph CMS is heavily on the developer persona, which maybe that's an issue for them from a business perspective at some point. But there, there's a there's a link when you're looking in a few spots on, on the content page and a few other spots where you can click preview and playground and it takes you to a playground has the query already written and there's the data right there from the content that you just wrote. So that, that was kind of cool to see what it would actually turn into. Yeah, again, from a developer perspective, that's great. Great way to build trust and good feelings all around. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I, I was also curious when reading through the logs, you also have used either at that point or, or after, you have used an iPad as your primary computer to manage graph cms like for whatever reason you probably were traveling or, or were in a place where you your computer just wasn't wasn't there and you have a blocker around that talk to me a little bit about the ipad experience first and then that blocker please yeah so for the most part using the ipad was was good like i was able to set up some things and do some things but there were definitely some issues with the ipad where i couldn't continue on with the structure if i'm remembering right there were things in the bottom right of the like when you're creating a relationship and the interface um, and some of the structured stuff like you couldn't scroll all the way down there was an intercom bubble oh man the stinking bubbles um <laughs> things are so annoying um there was an intercom bubble covering up part of the interface and i couldn't click on it on the ipad it was driving me crazy. So, yeah. So at, at some point I'm like, okay, well, I can't finish the rest of the structure for this data. Maybe I'll just fill out what I can and then I'll come back and add this later. That was definitely a blocker for me on the iPad. And and by the way, I was using the Magic Keyboard too. So whatever, maybe that's different than if you weren't using the Magic Keyboard. I don't know. And also to to add some context, two three months ago the uh, the keyboard was just out, so the iPad support for the pointer was relatively new. Because I noticed that you also have a a friction related to making things bold. So iPad shortcuts were another friction that you had. But that's that's interesting. And I keep reading developers trying to go to the point where they can use the iPad on the go, not primarily like. Like uh, every day I'm going to use this as my primary computer, but whenever I'm on the go, I'm traveling and I need to do something fast, I want to be able to do it. And I know we have more friction logs coming up around that subject, but this this is good to, to do a foundation because the iPad is, is almost a computer now, although Apple yep. says that it is not a computer. Um, <laughs> I don't know what that means. What does that even mean? It's like, is it that the iPad Pro that came out last year, didn't they say it was more powerful than like 80% of all the laptops in the world or something? But it was still not a computer? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. UX loss. What is the big end rule? All right, all right. We're talking about peak and roll, and we want to explain what it is. And as always, I start by asking Rick, how do you define it? Uh, so the general description, I'm just going to quote it. It says this, people judge an experience largely based on how they felt at its peak and at its end. 
rather than the total sum or average of every moment of the experience. Uh, that's that's the peak end rule in summary. There's some actually really interesting studies that people have done to kind of prove this out. Some of them are actually kind of hilarious. Like people actually will remember and prefer the thing that caused them more pain because of the peak and the end of that experience. So that it, it's pretty fun, but definitely important. You know, in, in this episode, we've talked about the editor experience. The last thing that somebody does in in this product is they edit something and then they leave. And that's a really important moment for a user. It's just like mail, right? The last thing that a user does in a mail app before they move on to something else is they probably have either read something or send an email. And that's why that confirmation that the email was sent or as you hit command H and hide the, the mail client, you hear a whoosh that it's gone. It's, it's a satisfying like, yay, it worked. Um, but if it doesn't do that and it, and it fails, like you're trying to leave to do something else and it just comes crashing down, man, that's so memorable in a bad way. <laughs> yeah, like the 404s in web pages, that usually brings a negative emotion to whatever experience you're doing in any website. And you don't like you don't forget that. And that is why companies and, and pages show you an icon trying to make it fun. It is... Um, it is a little bit of bias towards the negative thing, as you said. It is the fact that one tries to justify a whole product value by the sum of it because we as developers, we build it and we say, well, we have the onboarding, we have this, we have that. But then right. when you get some negative reviews, then you're trying to justify it, but it's not how psychology works. It, that is how we as engineers think that the sum of each of the parts is going to give us the overall experience, but the users are different. The users focus on those peaks and that end user journey, and that yep. is what matters. Yep, that's exactly right. Yep, focus on making sure the peaks are great, the height of you know whatever the productivity that they need to be doing or whatever it is they're trying to do, and then... Pay attention to the last thing the user is probably going to do before they go on to something else. Those are very, very important. All right. All right. We don't have any more blockers. We have some frictions. Why don't you pick a couple of them? What do you think it's relevant? Yeah, let's start with um, some of the beginning stuff like the, the onboarding and sign up. Cause, Perfect. Yeah, because peak end rule, you got to gotta make sure you get the, the beginnings right. So the first thing that was a minor annoyance for me was sign up, actually. The social options, you know, like sign in with your GitHub and all that stuff, they were grayed out because the terms of service box wasn't checked. But it's at the very bottom of the form, the check is. that The buttons aren't at the bottom of the form, but the, the, the check mark button is. And you have to click the check mark button before you can pick one of those social options and I literally didn't see that check mark and so I thought something was broken I'm like oh man what's going on I was like I actually ended up opening the console to see if there was an error because <laughs> that's what developers then, do yeah exactly and I'm like and I scrolled down I'm like oh there's a what happened oh let me click this oh look I can click you know G Suite now or G, Gmail login <laughs> so <laughs> uh, that was definitely a friction Okay. Okay. And then moving on to the create the screen. Yeah. The, you know, the, the, this is a minor one, but I had some minor misunderstanding of some of the labels, the name and the description, and they look like they have help text that says, you know, like select a region where your content will be located is I think the verbiage, but it, it, that text almost is like it's part of those fields when it was actually part of the map that map that we're talking about, the region map. And it, it, it took me, you know, like a, a second or two to be like, wait, what's going on? But it, it did some, it definitely was something, it, there's actually a UX law that's slipping my mind right now where when things are grouped together, your brain associates them. And that was one of those cases where that description of that select a region where your content will be located was too close to name and description. And I, I don't know, I was trying to figure out like, do I type the name of the region? Is that what it's saying? You know, that kind of thing. So that was a, a minor, minor, minor annoyance. I think that's the law of proximity, if I remember correctly. But yes, it's the association that the brain does when how you group different components and when you use borders and the spacing between components. 
all of that brings us to that one. Okay, interesting. I have some something myself because I have been using it, uh, but I want to hear it first from you. The tutorials in YouTube, so basically when you land on, on an empty project and you log that as a friction, why? Uh, let's see here. So if I remember right, there's an initial video that you go to in YouTube, it w but you can't find the list of the rest of them, uh, the, the rest of the tutorials. I think they give you like one tutorial and it's like, okay, what about the, what's the next one I should look at? And I don't remember that being anywhere that's obvious. I, I seem to remember, I, I think it's on the video, but I seem to remember having to go to YouTube to look for them. Yeah. Yes. So it's a, it's a set of tutorials and they upload it to YouTube as a playlist. But then when uh, it is embedded into the empty project screen, you only see one of them and there is not really a call to action or a, or a little like click here for the next one or something like that. And, and I yeah. got lost as well. So that, yeah, I, I think that's, that's uh, very similar to what had happened to me once or twice. And okay. <laughs> right. <Yep. laughs> and then you mentioned again, the intercom bubble that hides some uh, things. Yes. I, I, I can sense that that causes you friction because I can hear it's, it in your it's voice. It's so annoying. Yeah. So here's the deal. Like the, those bubbles, I've actually used them to great success. Like when I need help or something, it's kind of nice that you can click on them, fire and forget. And then, you know, 30 minutes later, you get an email that's and someone responded and you can either respond to the email or jump into the app and respond or whatever. So those things are nice, but when they cover up important parts of the UI, it is infuriating. And so like when you save a model or there's an error, I had that a couple of times where there's an error, their messages are little um, toasts, if you will, uh, messages. Mm -hmm. They come up in the bottom right. But you can't click on the stupid things because the intercom bubble is on top of it. So that's that's really mad uh, maddening. That's more than a friction. <laughs> it's a heavy friction. I, I, I see it as a disconnection between the original user experience or the user design of like, here's the whole real state for you to do this action. And then later in the game, after the first deployment or just at some point, somebody says, oh, we need to add a chat bubble yeah. here just in case they need help. And then nobody went to say, okay, does this block anything? And just because intercom is so standard and mm -hmm. it's, it's, well, I would say it's everywhere because you know, yep. a lot of pages are, then that creates like, it's like two different teams. It was like one team that created the beautiful design and the other one that says, oh, we need a help button. Let's just add it here on top of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think that's exactly, or at least that's what it feels like what's happened. <laughs> and I, you know, I wonder if like during, um, I mean, I don't know what their QA cycle is like or their dev cycle, but I, you know, I, I'm a, I assume in dev that intercom bubble doesn't pop up. So I assume it's not covering up their images. Of course, um, I read their messages, but of course, you know, this was a f several weeks ago when we did this friction log. So they could have already fixed it by now too. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. If not, I will just log in and open the bubble and say, "Hey, can you remove the bubble? It's it's blocking me." <laughs> and see if they have responded with with something around that. All right, sluggish. So let's talk a little bit about performance. You have one friction here when editing a model feels sluggish. Any thoughts on performance in general? Yeah, you know, it, it's not terrible, but when you're the load times from saving, deleting, editing, there, it's it's enough to where you're kind of like, okay, what's going on? Like it, it, this is a really bad slander, but it feels like a Drupal or a Joomla at some point. Cause you're like sitting there waiting, something's chugging, you know, churning in the background. You're like, what's going on? It, it's again, it's not terrible, but it's definitely noticeable. You know, it, it's definitely not the 200 millisecond Nirvana that the UX people talk about. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Anything else on performance you want to mention? I don't think so. You know, back to the editing a model though, there's definitely some frictions and they're on the website on the, on the friction log around creating a model, 
adding enumerations, some of that stuff. Again, on one side, on the delight side, it's like, oh, yeah, I don't have to do this GraphQL schema, and the way they manage it is great. But, um, you know, like when you create a model, since it's so dev-focused, and they have, like, example, buttons that say, hey, go view this in the playground, it'd be nice to show the user what the data schema or the example of what the JSON would look like when choosing the naming conventions, because sometimes it's, you're not quite clear. You're like, oh, if I name it this way, how are they going to transform it? And it actually did happen to me once where I, I named it a certain way, and then when I saw it in GraphQL, I'm like, oh, oh, oh no, 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 no. I, I don't want that. I want to change the name. So that happened to me a couple times. And I think if, if just like they have buttons to you know jump to a playground, if they could just show you that, that would probably alleviate a little bit of that friction. Yeah, it... it- as, as you put it in one of the frictions, it breaks the flow. I have seen that uh, that as well. And then you, it, it's a fine balance between the UI values that you see when you are uh, editing content or even the schema and the API values. And sometimes they are the same, but sometimes it can get uh, it can get confusing there. And you always ended up changing it because the first time I, I always get it wrong. So uh, I'm with you on that one. Yeah. 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 On the break, the flow thing, like a good example of that is when you want to create an enumeration an enum, it, imagine you're in the middle of creating a model, which will be your, you know, your API spec, if you will, your GraphQL schema, and you need an enum. When you select that, it expects one to be there already. So then you have to jump out of creating a model, jump over to enums, create an enum, you know, it, I, I guess I guess it'd be nice if they just had an option create an enum right from the drop down menu. That that's probably what would probably fix that friction actually. But that's definitely breaking that flow, that creative flow, um, is uh, no bueno. <laughs> it happens also with the content when you are doing relationship between um, records of content, and you have to create one and the other one. It just changes the context, and I, I always have assumed that. It is because it's so flexible and the schema is so flexible that they have to create this UI that at the same time is too flexible. And by being too flexible, they cannot say, oh, we can do an enum creation in line or we can do this in line as opposed to navigating and displaying a, a UI bar from the right. Like, like that, that's a very odd UI experience. But yeah, I think it's, the flexibility of it, or that's that's how I have processed it myself. But I I find that mm-hmm. I don't want to say annoying, but just odd and and breaks that flow when you're creating either content or schema. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and, and also there's flow. So that's like UI flow that's disruptive. And then there's like cognitive uh, disruptions when you're creating the stuff. So another friction I logged was enumeration values. So it's actually not clear why you can't have normal text that is associated with an, an enum. Now, you know, from a GraphQL perspective, it's, that's pretty obvious, but you know, from a CMS content structure perspective, why are you stuck with like, you know, a camel case or an underscore case name for your enum? Why can't you have a human readable value associated with it? And again, developer perspective graphql perspective it's like of course you can't do that but the user doesn't know that if unless it's a developer yeah you assume it as a developer and but at the end of the day it just creates that flow break and then you just have to kind of like reset your brain and distractions can be uh, harmless in 90 percent of the cases but the other 10 percent they can uh, really mess the structure or the content or you publish something that you don't want to publish and and right. it has some consequences there okay I'm yeah sure. it, it and also in the editing flow so like if you're an editor or an author or whatever when you see those values you see the enum value so there is a end user that maybe it's a marketing person or something like that like what if i want them to see a different human readable value than just the enum so yeah that's definitely a friction and talking about the editor experience, you also have uh, something. It's not as good as Ulysses or VS Code. Why? Why is that? What do you think is is missing in the Markdown editor specifically? Uh, there's a there's a few things. There's definitely a few things which 
thinking about it now, like every, every time we go into graph CMS and I leave, I, I'm always thinking of the peak end rule. Cause I'm like, uh, every time I leave, I'm like, this that one little thing is annoying. I, they, like the whole experience is generally pretty good, but there's just these, that one nagging thing that happened right when I left. And it's like, that's the last. And so those things have to do with the editor experience. The keyboard shortcuts, it's a productivity tool, but some of the shortcuts for navigating around, I'm doing the same thing over and over again, again, and it'd be nice if there's keyboard shortcuts. At least I couldn't find any. So there's that one. And then, so I use Ulysses for writing stuff, and then I use VS Code for markdown stuff for you know open source repos and things like that. And that writing experience, even medium, to be honest with you, the writing experience is so much better. And when you get into the, the writing experience of graph CMS, it's like this little box. I mean, you can click and drag it, make it taller. You can't make it wider, but it's like this little box and it's just not enjoyable to edit in. So I, I have everything that's on our website. Now I've written in Ulysses cause I just, I like it. It, that experience is clean. I can make it full screen and it's, you know, it's not distracting. So right now what I'm doing is I'm writing Ulysses. I copy the markdown into the editor in graph CMS and then save it. But then if I notice a problem or, you know, I use Grammarly, um, Grammarly picks up an issue, I'll fix it. And then I'm like, now I've got a mismatch. Oh, it's different in graph CMS than in Ulysses. So it'd be nice if I could just have one place to do the authoring and editing and stuff. But graph CMS just does not have an enjoyable authoring experience in my opinion. Yeah. I don't know. Like it, writing becomes so complicated. Uh, sometimes like this, you're, you're talking, I don't use Ulysses. I use I, a writer, but oh, it, yeah, that's a nice one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's about the same, right? I have, if I'm working on my iPad, I have uh, the, the editor there and I have the Grammarly app and the Grammarly app also has a text editor, but it is not as good as Ulysses or uh, IA writer. Uh, and then I got to copy and paste it. And then you have to like triple check it just so it, it doesn't mm -hmm. um, mess with that. But then an edit happens and then you have to go through every place and make sure that that, uh, that, that is uh, synced. And it would be good if, um, Graph CMS will spend time to say, hey, you're writing on this markdown uh, box. We're going to open up to almost full screen with like a little model and say, this is the best editor experience. Or you can integrate from these other editors that you can bring it straight to here. Or you can, you can do something because they are not a text editor company, but they offer one and like you and I and, and a lot of people are using better tools to write this and just bringing it to copy and paste it, then it's it could be uh, plain text and it would be the same as, as what it is right now. Yeah, it, it's it's you're right. You're exactly right. And it, it's one of those weird lines that they're they're walking where they're a CMS, but they're it's graph CMS, GraphQL CMS. So it's dev focused CMS. So it's like if you're going to be a CMS and you need a good authoring experience, but you can tell most of the attention's put mainly on the developer side of the house, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's, it's a very good developer experience, but it does show when you go to edit something, you're like, ah, this experience is kind of annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Yeah. And, and talking about those annoyances, I'm going to steal one from you because I have uh, spent too much time building the filters and sorts on the collections mm, of content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you yeah. have that mark as a friction to me is becoming, um, I don't know, it's just, just spend like five, 10 minutes living it pretty. And then it, it doesn't retain it across sessions. So next time you log in, then it's all the same. And I don't, I don't know how to persist that. And I, I would think that that would be a very good priority, but then, it's headless CMS. Not a lot of people go into that console and, and maybe the input and the output are external apps through the API and they don't care that much, but I just find it really annoying myself. Yeah. I almost feel like the, the content filters are like them not being retained across sessions. I almost feel like that's a bug. I mean, like surely they're, they've fixed it. 
No, but they haven't actually. It's not like by the when we recorded this several weeks ago, I thought, oh, this is a bug. But I don't think it's been fixed. So maybe it's maybe they don't consider it a bug. I don't know. Time to use the bubble chat to ask for that. <laughs> well, I know I can click on that. <laughs> good, good, good. I, I think it was a good experience. How do you feel about like overall, other than that, that um, pecan experience to where you're just tired at the end of the day of dealing with uh, with those nuances. But other than that, I, I, I'm reading that it was a good experience. And so far we have kept it on the website as the back end. Yeah. So mm-hmm. how can you sum it up? Yeah, so I I... I really like it. I think it's a great product. The sum of everything and the, of the experience and everything, the value that we get out of it I, is, is great. It's, it's phenomenal. Again, the peak end rule, you know, I leave with that like distaste with the editor and that's always bad because it's, the, it, it's like my, uh, my music orchestra professor in college, I'm a music major, which sounds weird. We're engineering podcast, but he would always say that people will remember how you began, how you crescendoed and how you ended. And they might not be sophisticated enough to be like, Oh, you know, their timing on that one section of that, those three violins was a little off or, you know, that they're not sophisticated to say, Oh, the intonation of that trumpet was just slightly off, which caused the, you know, whatever cascading effect in the orchestra. He's like, they might not be sophisticated enough to say that, but they'll, they'll say, uh, it was okay. I think I, you know, I, it was all right. And that's when, you know, you've lost. And that's that peak end rule. Like I, the whole experience with graph CMS is actually pretty good. And I'm, I'm definitely going to use it for fish rules and I would use it for other things too. But man, it's just like when you leave and you're just annoyed by the editor, it's, it's just not a good feeling, you know? Yep. And it's, very human to get hung up on that feeling it's uh right it's difficult to explain but we all have felt that even in movies in in pretty much any experience that you that you go through you will get that feeling you're like yeah it was okay but there was something that something is the bad thing okay yeah great yep. okay you like it you will use it again you're probably using it for fish rules already who do you yeah. think this is good for, or or what do you think this is good for, and what do you think it's not good for? So, I mean, like we said before, it's a great headless CMS if you want people to edit things, and you know you have your own front end or your a mobile app or whatever. It, it's it's pretty good for it. If you're expecting people to author things inside of it, I think because of our comments on the editor, I think that's it's going to be an annoyance for some people probably for most people and, and and actually when you're competing with WordPress and stuff, people that are WordPress bloggers and marketers and stuff are going to be like, ah, why can't I just edit this in WordPress or why can't we just use HubSpot? And they're not thinking of all the technical things and why, you know, all the technical value that graph CMS brings are just thinking of their job, which is editing something or writing a blog post or whatever. So that, I think that's where there's friction and they've, you know, they're kind of, again, like we said, straddling that fence of making developers really happy and they do, and they haven't put enough time on the authoring experience of it. So yeah, that's, that's my thoughts. What what about you? What do you think? I mean, you, you use it as much as I do. So what are your opinions um, on it? I mean, for me, I am technical proficient, I think. Sometimes, some days, <laughs> but I like it. Like I, I use it when, whenever we're putting episodes out and doing the friction logs. And it's kind of nice that it's, it's marked down and then it gets parsed correctly. And then like the processing and all of that from a developer standpoint is good. I don't see a lot of non-technical people using it. Like there is, there is not much different from me to say, let's say I have a colleague that it is not technical at all, but it is a good writer. Uh, it's probably going to end up, he sent me a markdown if he ever uses markdown, which I think it's becoming pretty popular. So I would say, okay, let's, let's keep that. But I will be ended up um, putting it into graph CMS 
And I just don't want to do that job, right? It's the whole reason why we're not doing the opposite, whereas they will go, like if it was up to non-technical people, WordPress is good enough and it has a good editor. And mm-hmm. yeah, they're going to Google that he has a REST API plugin that you can you can connect and you can integrate as a developer. And, and you as a developer don't want to go that way. So I think there is a fine balance between developer focus CMS and non-technical or marketing people CMS and graph CMS is close to that line but it's still leaning towards the developer and if they can do a little bit of uh, more work on thinking on that those authors then I think it will be great like I want to see somebody that it is not technical look at the editor and say hey go ahead and write whatever you want and that they will be happy with it. Yeah. But personally, I like it. I, I'm using it for for another little thing that, I, that I'm that i writing. I also want to try another one. I have used Contentful before, so mm-hmm. I never used Graph CMS before this, but Contentful, yes, I did. And it was, in, it was still, I would say, like two, three years ago. So Contentful, to some degree, is more like enterprise and more robust in, in yeah. so many things where graph cms is fun it's for developers it's like you're starting this new website you want to have a good backend and you have a flexible api this is for you and overall if i have to choose into those i'll go with graph cms i know there are there are some more and i want to try at least another one and bring some friction locks there so we can compare but other than that i'm quite happy with our day-to-day basis because we're both technical and we understand it Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. I agree. It's a perfect fit for us. <laughs> and with that, we have our full stack of the Friction Log website. So if you have any recommendations on what else can we do on what can we change, or maybe you're building a new product that you think is something that we should use in our website, just send us an email and we'll be happy to test it out. I want to thank you, Rick. I know it was a long interview with all those frictions, but I think overall we we made a good study in this and we had fun, which is one of the most important things. Yep. Thanks, Cesar. Well, that's all for today's episode of Friction Log. Thank you for listening and make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app and visit our website, frictionlog.com Adios amigos <laughs>